Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for the words that you explicitly left us. Um, and while you were on this earth and you walked the earth, we thank you for them. Give us an understanding, again, of what it means uh, to have a heart transformation because of the work that you have done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are going to pick up at verse 5, but for a context, what I'd like to do is read Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him. Remember, this is multiple disciples, not just the 12, um, as we see in possibly Luke, uh, Luke 5, but... And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, my inflection, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. <clears throat> okay, so um, correct me if I'm wrong. Did we get through meekness last week, right? We got through verse 5? Yeah, so now we're on to verse 6, from what I understand. Some people are... Okay. Well, I have me on page on the beginning of verse 5, but I wanted to make sure. Okay, that's all right. We'll go through it. You can be like, I heard this last week, whatever. So, blessed are the meek. Now, often when we talk about the meek, um, it's not necessarily an understood term in today's society. And a lot of times people uh, mistake meekness for weakness. Meek is not weak. Meekness is not weakness. We need to understand that. Probably the best definitions in its simplest form that meekness is strength under control. And you've probably heard that before. Uh, the strength under control. So here we have Jesus, the all-powerful God, the one who created everything. And he subjected himself to human flesh. And he humbled himself to the point to where he served humankind. Yet he had the ability, as he said in the garden, do you not know I have the ability to call down legions of angels and wipe out everybody who's against me? And so he admitted he had that power, but he controlled that power for the sake of others. It was not weakness. It was meekness. And so I think we briefly looked at Matthew 11, verse 28. <clears throat> Here we see um, one of the few times Jesus actually says of himself his characteristics. He proclaims, verse 28, Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary, or all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Some say, for I am gentle and meek, or I am meek and of low estate. And you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus self-proclaims himself as someone who is meek. For this is who I am. I am meek. I'm not weak, right? We know it took a lot of strength to go to the cross and to take the sin of the whole world upon himself. Um, And not only that, uh, have the Father turn his face away for a moment and for him to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then for him to say, it is finished. And my Father, I commit my spirit unto you. And then the death um, did not hold him, right? We see that he overcame it. Let's look at Psalm 3711. This idea of meekness. I'm sorry, what? I know. 3711? Yeah. There's no slurpees there. (laughs) This might sound familiar, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Uh, The meek shall inherit the land. Now we know blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Thirty-seven, eleven. Matt was not there first. <laughs> that would, hopefully, that will be more like what you're looking for. And Isaiah twenty-nine, nineteen. Isaiah twenty-nine, nineteen. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. And so I think there's a couple applications briefly for us, is that we have um, strength within ourselves to be um, ungodly. We have strength within ourselves to try and um, force our hand upon others. Um, But when we take on the meekness of Jesus Christ, we set that strength aside or he he pulls that strength away from us and controls that strength uh, because uh, we are now meek people. Uh, We walk in a land and I think that that um, maybe you've met those people before. You're like, like, man, that that is a gentle giant. That's somebody who, you know, is really strong and powerful, yet they contain their strength and whether it's in wisdom or knowledge or whatever they they hold back uh and, and i think when we think about meekness too is is it's almost someone who refrains um how i look at it from being um completely judgmental even though they're right like i have the power to judge you because you've wronged me and say um none of you have wronged me so that doesn't but there are times where we're like hey i'm totally in the right here I uh, think of, of, you know, relationships, whether at work or with spouses or whatnot. I'm totally right. I'm totally right here, right? But out of meekness, you don't throw the hammer down, right? Because there's that gentleness and that lowliness of heart. So what do you, what does it mean to inherit the earth? I mean, because like, whoopee, right? I don't want this earth, just so you know. Uh, not in its current state. I mean, there's parts of the earth I really like, but... Um, you know, you sit there and you go, okay, what is Jesus talking about? Now, remember, Jesus was always pointing forward. And so he spent a lot of time talking about what was going to happen at the end of all things. 
Uh, we see it in the book of Revelation, the last couple chapters of Revelation. Uh, the Apostle Peter talks a lot about how the end of things are going to happen. So um, it's strongly believed that this is a direct reference to the end times of the new heaven and the new earth. That those who are meek, blessed are the meek, uh, the lowly in spirit, will be those who actually are participants and citizens of the new heaven and the new earth. Which we are, those who are in Christ, who have taken upon his meekness, are going to be those who are citizens of the new heaven and the new earth. When the old world has passed away, it's not going to be a new world order in the sense that we talk about today, but it's the new world where Christ reigns supreme and peace reigns and there is no more sin and there's no more sadness. Um, and that is just quite amazing. So let's look at Revelation 21. On sad days, I would encourage you to read Revelation 21 and 22. You could even start with 19. But. Twenty-one verses one through four. Twenty-one one through four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So this would be what Jesus was referencing. You know, before that, he says, you know, there's going to be those who inherit the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be those who will be satisfied, right? There will be those who, know, who, who will be comforted. And this is all future. They shall inherit the earth. And then verse 6 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so we kind of need to look at what that means. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? So let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. It'll be 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." And I, I love how when God speaks, 
it's so appropriate, right? Isn't this something that we see the world struggling with? Is, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's, what am I going to wear? How, what am I going to eat? Where, you know, how should I dress? All these things that the world, or he calls them Gentiles in this case, um, you know, they, they strive for. And we can find ourselves um, really struggling with that. You know, when people go through health issues or you have a loved one, like I've been experiencing lately, going through health issues, and, and things change and you don't know. You're, you know, and, and I remember uh, many times with my mom saying, well, let's just get through today, right? You know, hope, we'll see what happens tomorrow. We don't know. And so you go day by day, and, and yet it's so easy for us to slip into, well, let me look at the bank account. Well, let me look at, at stability in my relationships. Let me look at the news for what's going on. And, and that's not what we're supposed to do. Uh, and again, uh, there's enough anxiety in the world, I don't need to add to it by trying to figure out tomorrow. Now, does this mean we don't plan? No, I'm not saying that. But what we do say is, well, this is my plan. However, we know in real practical life, sometimes my plan doesn't happen. <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. My plane got delayed coming back. And we got a note. I mean, my plane wasn't supposed to take off till 12 something on Friday. And like at 8 in the morning, we get this notification that's delayed an hour. And okay. Uh, and I've had, I had both my mother-in-law and my mom. Well, why is it delayed? I don't know. <laughs> All I know is we need a plane to come in before we can get on one, and we're waiting for the plane to come in. That's all I know, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, you have plans to do certain things. I had plans to drive home in a certain amount of time, um, but then I, we landed an hour later, so it was 5 o'clock in Salt Lake. Well, you you're, don't get home as quickly when it's 5 o'clock in Salt Lake, although I'll still... I'll still say take that traffic over Sacramento traffic or LA traffic, but. Uh, you delayed? You had two no. delays. No, I only had one. I was a straight flight. Oh. So. I thought you texted me again and said you were doing the same thing. No, it's okay. Maybe I was. Uh, My brain was delayed. Right. So, so we're to seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, right? So obviously the righteousness of God is found in none other than Jesus Christ. So we seek Christ. And then, and when we do that, and all of us have been there, when I put my attention and my focus, like Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Okay, I don't have that one. Um, so so when, we, when we look at it like that, we all have been there. We, okay, we just look to God and then he takes care of everything. And it's all perspective, right? He's my great father. He's my loving king. He is going to, even, even when I've messed up, he takes care of me because he is faithful. Genesis 15, all the way back. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6, as we look at how we seek righteousness. Sorry, what verses? 1 through 6. What chapter? Genesis 15. <laughs> Genesis 15, 1 through 6. And then I'll tell you a little story about this soon. So after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. 
And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now again, um, Abram had not had the promised child. And, and so in the custom of the day, um, if they were to carry on inheritance, it would go to his number one servant, when the, which in this case was Eleazar. And um, God said, no, that's not what the promise is. Look at the stars of the sky. And Abram believed him, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So the righteousness of God was accounted to the, to the account of Abram. This is 14 years before circumcision was instituted. Now the Jews would look to circumcision and say that what's, that's what makes you righteous. Um, however, we would see here that the righteousness of God was given to Abraham before the sign. Uh, so, and it was based upon belief, um, which is an important thing. Paul goes to great lengths about that in Galatians. And then also the author of Hebrews talks about that. It was accounted to him as righteousness before the sign of the covenant was given. So it's important for us to understand that, that belief brings righteousness. So we need to hold on to that. Deuteronomy 9, verse 6. Deuteronomy, D-E-U-T-E-R-O-N-O-M-Y. 9, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. 9, verse 6. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> we should quit now. No. Yes, that's it. Deuteron- Just don't ask for Deuteronomy again. Nope. Uh, 9 verse 6. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so, you know, it's funny because the, the, the Pharisees at the time of Jesus forgot things like this. You know, the promises of God still happened to the people of God in spite of them. Yeah, it wasn't because they were able to be righteous. In fact, God said, you guys aren't able to be righteous. It's not because of your righteousness. So when we seek first his righteousness, right? We seek first the righteousness of God, not our own righteousness. Again, it's a hard issue because the Pharisees were saying we can accomplish righteousness on our own. Just, just check the box every day, right? And the problem is when I check the box, I go, oh yeah, but there's one more. Hold on, you're not quite righteous enough yet. Oh, you're not quite righteous enough yet. And then those religions and then false religions who are built upon legalism and checkboxes never know. There's never assurance that they are saved and that God really loves them because they always wonder, even at their deathbed, did I do enough? Did I do enough? And we say, Christ said enough. <laughs> and so, whoo, because I can never do enough, Right? I can't, I mean, I get to do stuff for the Lord, but it still is going to pale in comparison to the great price he paid for me. And my righteousness is filthy rags. Isaiah chapter 6, 64 talks about that, that our righteousness, our works of righteousness are like filthy rags. And again, I've said this before, I don't know if in this context, but filthy rags there is, is, is used menstrual rags. So, um, I mean, God's not, you know, mincing words. So all your works of righteousness that you think are worth anything are like bloody rags. And it's like, you know, I mean, that's, 
and, and so it's good for us to think about that. So anything that I think that I'm doing, I'm like, well, just fill in the blank. I'm like, here you go, Lord. And he's like, uh, you know, you're not even wearing gloves. Okay. So um, <laughs> Romans 3. You ladies are like, what a man. <laughs> Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Romans 3, 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So again, the righteousness is apart from the law. So again, when we go back to... to um, Deuteronomy, where he says, you're not getting this good land because of, of your righteous deeds. You're getting it because of the faithfulness of God. Right here he's saying, you know, your righteousness it was not accomplished by keeping the law. And so again, we look to the one who has fulfilled the law, and that's Jesus Christ. So we're talking about seek first, you know, and hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we hunger and thirst for Jesus. And this is a, this is a, a, a challenge for us. Um, because we're so easy on filling ourselves up with other things in this world and this life. Yeah, I love my wife. I, I get a great pleasure out of hanging out with her. I, I love my kids. I got to see my granddaughter for a little bit when I was, and those are great things, but those aren't the things that, that really give me complete satisfaction. Now I get greater satisfaction because of the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to my account because of the work of Jesus Christ. But am I seeking Jesus Christ in all these things? And, and through that lens, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, do I thirst for it? Do I hunger for it? Um, I have to be honest with you, sometimes, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, I recognize it, but on a day-to-day basis, is that my pursuit to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Um, first, or not first, first Philippians, but there's only one. So Philippians, <laughs> Philippians 1 <laughs> Verses 9 through 11. Uh, Philippians 1. Come on. Oh, there we go. Got to get that page unstuck. Philippians 1, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, righteousness is only through Jesus Christ. 1 John 1 John chapter 2, only one tab for 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. (laughs) So 1st John 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Remember, only the righteous can be in the presence of God. 
And so only Jesus, because of Jesus, can we find ourselves in the presence of God. And for they shall be satisfied or they shall be filled. Isaiah chapter 1. It's a good promise. We hunger and thirst for righteous and we will be filled. We will be satisfied. I like the translation satisfied, right? Because there's one thing to hunger and thirst and to be, and to like, if I fill up my hunger and thirst, I'm going to fill it up too much. And I'm not going to be satisfied. I'm going to be, eh. but we get the perfect satisfaction in Jesus Christ. So Isaiah chapter one, verses 18 and 19. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Now, again, we have some interesting, if you are willing and obedient in here, so we have to be careful we don't put that heap of of yoke of slavery upon ourselves. However, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson. And and there's no um, do this, do that, and they will be. This is a direct correlation to the work of the blood of Jesus Christ upon our lives. And so if we're obedient to what? To seeking first Jesus, that we seek first his kingdom, and we, we shall be satisfied. We will eat of the good of the land. So our ultimate fulfillment is in the Holy Spirit, though. So let's look at Acts 2, verse 4. We can be filled here on earth. We don't have to wait until that day when everything will be realized and all will be well. We can get some of that now. So Acts 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them under it. So that does not mean every time that you're filled with the Holy Spirit that you're going to speak in other tongues. So don't freak out about that. So let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Over a couple of pages. Acts 4, verse 8. Because here, he's not speaking in tongues. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's able then to give utterance in a way that he wasn't able to give utterance before because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. A little further in chapter 4, verse 31. One of my favorite verses. Verse 31 of, of Acts 4. And when they had heard, and when they had prayed, excuse me, the place in which they were to gather together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Okay, so this doesn't say they began to speak in tongues, so let's not get sidetracked, right? Because that's our easy thing to do. A lot of people say, every time you're filled with the Holy Spirit, no. The Holy Spirit fills you because we are like cracked pots. Uh, we're vessels of, of honor that God has created. The problem, there's two things with cracked pots, is you fill them up, they leak, the second thing, as, as vessels that are used for God, we get filled up and we get poured out. 
right? So we need to get filled up again so we can get poured out some more. That pouring out is the work of God in and through our lives to the benefit of others. And then Acts chapter 13, verse 42. Acts chapter 13, 52, sorry. That makes more sense. Acts 13, 52. And the disciple, disciples, yeah, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So as believers, we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and God meets that need with the Holy Spirit here now on earth, and we're filled. Um, and uh, I've never found myself filled with the Holy Spirit and not have joy. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't believe I've ever spoken in tongues as far as I know. Maybe someone understood something that I said at one point in time when they were foreigner. I don't know. But I have had great joy. Uh, and I find uh, as, as I am more aware of the presence of Christ in my life and the Holy Spirit with me, that um, the natural or supernatural outcome of that is joy. Uh, there's so much to be thankful for. And I find when I am rejecting, well, that's a bad term, but I, when I am not considering the fact that the Spirit is with me, that's when I find myself angry and depleted and depressed and frustrated and overwhelmed and moody. Because I can be tired but still have the joy of the Lord. Uh, and there's a difference between being grumpy and uh, Laura's very gracious and doesn't say, but honey, the Spirit's with you. You know, she doesn't say that to me, <laughs> which I'm thankful because that probably wouldn't help the situation. Maybe you did say it at one point in time and realized bad, bad move. No, <laughs> so you know this. Even though, anyway, never mind. We'll go as, I get, as I get older, I realize it's very uh, good for me to put the mirror down because you know. I'm holding up a mirror. I have to look at it too. So. Oh, so they can put the mirror down. You can point the finger at me. Is that okay. <laughs> no, put the mirror down. And uh, so that maybe you down. might catch. I might catch my reflection in it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> put it down. No. <laughs> it, becomes, it becomes a heavenly. Uh, okay, great. <laughs> Verse seven of Matthew chapter five. Blessed are the merciful. So now we can only be merciful. Because we have received mercy. And I, I believe that the more... That's why one of the things I really value um, during the season of Lent is this, this focus on the fact that we have received so much mercy. However, I kind of believe that as believers, we should always be growing in this fact that we've received mercy, regardless of whether it's Lent or not. I, um, I do like the season, but I, I hesitate sometimes to compartmentalize uh, all my Christian disciplines and my spiritual experiences. Well, this is these, this 42 days during Lent. Um, so I can, you know, only really focus on this and then, oh, then we'll focus on Christmas and then it'll be summer, you know, after Easter and all that good stuff. And so um, I think that, that um, for us as Christians, we share the joy of Christ being among us, Emmanuel, God with us, and also the joy of his great mercy all the time. And that we'd be growing in this all the time. But I find that it, when we're more and more aware of our mercy, it's much easier to be merciful to others. Um, and what I mean by being merciful to others is sometimes things just don't bother you like they used to. Uh, you know, you're just like, I'm not going to waste. Uh, what's the thing I say, Laura, sometimes? It's not, um, it's, no, there's one thing, it's not worth the relationship. 
Like I, I'm a time freak. I want to be on time all the time. And I used to get upset when other people weren't on time. And then it would, it would, it would affect my relationship. And God had to speak to me clearly and said, really? Them being a little bit late, or, or not even a little bit late, but not on your time schedule, um, is worth the relationship? And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'd get upset when I was wronged or something like that. And the Lord say, this is not worth spending your energy on. Um, being upset about because it's not going to change it. The only thing it's doing is making you uh, lack forgiveness and lack mercy instead, of, and it's holding you back from joy. And and so um, I think that that one of the things that we should grow in, and I pray that we do, is how merciful God has been to us. One of the reasons I do like confession and absolution, which was different for me until three years ago or two and a half years ago, whenever we moved out, almost three years ago. That's not something we practiced in the tradition that I grew up in. Um, not that I wasn't aware of the mercy of the Lord, not that I wasn't know, didn't know that I was forgiven and that wasn't emphasized, but the formal saying, you need to know every time we get together that, that you are a sinner saved by grace and God has done the work, and that's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing for us to always be right because we'll forget. And then when we think about... Um, Church attendance, sorry, I'm not picking on you guys, but you know, <laughs> but, but, but you know, you think about those who only come every three weeks or so or four weeks, they don't even hear those words. And so, I mean, it's not that they need to hear those words to be forgiven, but they're not reminded of that uh, as often as we who come every week. And, and so I wonder, man, you know, that's why you hear when people come back, oh, so refreshing. Well, it's because, again, there was that reminder of how greatly they're loved and that they are forgiven and that they don't have to walk this alone. Now, remember a simple definition of mercy is not getting what you deserve. See, justice is getting what you deserve, um, but mercy is not getting what you deserve. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. It's the second tab in your Bible now. What? Is there some extra tabs? So you just throw them in there? Oh, okay. Fancy tabs. I know. I'm all confused. Exodus chapter 25. And verses 21 and 22. Uh, this was on our last day of VBS last year, Vacation Bible School. We revealed this. Um, so just to fill you in, we did last year, Sharon. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, every day the kids had an archaeological dig. So they would dig up something in our dig site, each group would. And then they would bring it. We turned the, the pavilion back there into the, the temple. And the kids would walk in and I would dress in, in robes and explain how that image uh, pointed to Jesus Christ. So we had the, the, the light of the world, so the candle. We had the show bread, which was the bread of life. And then what was the other thing we had? Hmm. The Ark of the Covenant? Was it the Ark? No, the Ten Commandments. Yeah. We did have the Ark in there. Um, the uh, but we had the Ark open, and it was the Ark of the Covenant, uh, but the Ten Commandments and, and how Jesus fulfilled the law for us. And so they found the Ten Commandments. Anyway. All this fun stuff. But then the last day, we gathered everybody together, and we had a big veil in front of it. And I kind of gave the whole story about Jesus on the cross and how I had them, you know, stomp their feet on the ground. There was a great earthquake. And then Lake and 
uh, Paul magically. Um, but then tore the veil from top to bottom. And, and so the kids saw this. And then uh, they had not seen this all week. And then the mercy seat was seated on top of that. And so we were able to talk about how Jesus meets us. So in Exodus chapter 25, verse 21 and 22. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. God meets us at the mercy seat. Um, and so it's important for us to realize that's where God desires more than anything to meet us in the place of mercy. Um, and so that was, uh, again, Jesus is the merciful one and he has created a way for us to be merciful. And uh, so again, that was very impactful for the kids after the week to see that, that wow, that, that everything in the temple pointed to Jesus Christ. Um, and so I wish we could have videoed because their faces were awesome. Because I, I, I was watching them when it was torn up too, but it was cool. Um, and lots of gold spray paint. So, but God meets us in mercy. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I mean, I think this is one of those things, and even when we think of the Lord's Prayer, right? We said, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And it's, a, it's an interesting study. To sit there and go, so does God really forgive you if you're not willing to forgive? Um, that he is willing to forgive you. That's not the issue. He has forgiven. But his expectation is, I have forgiven you greatly. And so who are you to ask for forgiveness if you're not willing to forgive yourself? Not forgive yourself, but forgive others. And going back, like you were saying, that uh, in mercy you, about relations, you know, is it worth the relationship? When you hold that forever, yeah. it eats at you. Yeah. And it makes you so just inflamed with yourself. And we can't even receive the forgiveness of God because, because we're, shut off. we're just bitter and you're and, shut off yeah, from everything yeah, yeah. when you have that anger. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, no. It's good. Uh, so again, uh, it, and here's the thing is do we receive mercy when we're not merciful? Uh, we can point to a lot of scriptures that says that despite us, God is still merciful. However, wouldn't you like to know that you're receiving mercy? And I think the idea is when you're merciful, you're more aware of the fact that you're receiving mercy. Um, because you can't give mercy unless you have been given mercy. And so again, it's one of those things that God shows in his scripture. Um, you want to receive mercy? You want to, you know, forgiveness of sins? It's really, do you want to be more aware of, of the mercy? Do you want to be more aware of the forgiveness? Then forgive and give mercy. And, and then you'll be assured because here's the promise. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Um, again, not only here and now, but also in the world to come. I mean, we're going to sit before the throne uh, and I don't know how much we're going to know. We're going to know some stuff, but we're going to know enough to go, it's be, uh, I have no right to be here except for the work of Christ. What a great and merciful God. Uh, because we're going to be overwhelmed with his presence. Uh, but there's not going to be shame. There's not going to be guilt. So I haven't figured that out yet. Um, I, I hold on to it and I'm happy about it. Uh, because sometimes when we realize how much mercy we've received, there's an element of shame. You know, that, that leads us to that. There's an element of guilt that leads us to go, oh man, how merciful God is that he would receive a poor and wretched sinner like me. Um, and I feel bad for it. I mean, we all have probably things in our lives that 
no one else will know um, except for God and God alone. And yet he's forgiven us that. He's given us that mercy and that grace uh, to carry on and uh, even those things. Uh, so the idea is that, again, the more mercy we receive, the more we give, the more mercy we receive, the more we give, the more mercy we receive. Um, and so I would always encourage us to, to say, how can I be merciful in this moment? Um, I think that's a very godly thing. How can I extend mercy? I get, Laura will tell you, I'm, I've gotten better over the years, but I can get very agitated very easily when people just don't act the way I think they should. <laughs> you know? And it's like, well, they should, they, they should act that way. Or, and, and it's like, why? Why should they? Because you think they should? They weren't raised like you. They don't have the same background as you. They haven't had the same life experience as you. They don't have the same relationship with the Lord as you. They don't, all these things. And there's other people who look at you and go, man, I wish he should act this way because, you know, he should because of their experience. So we just got to realize, wait a second, it doesn't matter. Let me just be merciful. Mercy is a lot better than the kind of like you're saying, sharing the alternative to hold on to that because it's, it's, Claiming we have rights to something that we don't have rights to. Um, and it's hard. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Matthew 15, verse 11. Matthew 15, verse 11. I just want to get some more singing in today. We'll start, uh, well, we'll go to verse 10. Verse 10 and 11. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Right? So blessed are the pure in heart. Listen, your, your mouth will speak what's in your heart. Whether or not other people hear it or not is not the issue. Um, you know, you, if I'm by myself and driving down the road and I hear something on the radio or something happens on the road, what's in my heart comes out quickly. It's like the old adage of, you know, when, you're, when you have something in a cup and you hit a bump on the road, what, you know, the contents of the cup are exposed because of the bump in the road. And so out, out of the mouth is, is really where the heart is. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Let's read 10 also, because I think it's helpful. So Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. And so really the heart is God's territory. I Now we realize he's made us a new creation He's removed the heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh, yet we're still in this body of flesh that is wicked to the core. Uh, and so really the reality is, is we need to understand it's not about just following your heart because your heart is deceitfully wicked. And your heart, by the way, will do that which serves itself and the flesh. Now, if we say, Lord, what is your heart towards this? Give me your heart towards this, God. That's a different direction. And then we do follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit um, to have compassion, to have mercy, to be forgiving for other people. Ezekiel 36, 26, I think. Maybe 36, let's look. 
Uh, Ezekiel 36, 26. I had to look at my tattoo because it's one of my, it's that important to me. <laughs> Ezekiel 36, 26, a promise from the Lord. <laughs> and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So he's going to cause us to do that, but we need to realize in the flesh, we now have sinner and saint, right? We, we, we are, are dual people to some degree. We're citizens of this earth. We're also citizens of heaven. We are sinners and we're yet called saints by God. And we are going to be completely just one day only saint only. But right now we are sinners uh, or saints who, who really, the pastor friend of mine, saints who really struggle with sin, right? Well, he says who really sin. I'm like, how about who really struggle with sin? Because I don't want us to say, oh, well, we're just saints who sin. It's like, no, we're saints who struggle with sin. And so, but this new heart has been given to us and God is moving us that way. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. go back a few chapters or 15. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So again, God is talking about this is the work that he's going to be doing in his people. Um, It's his work. And so we say, blessed are the pure in heart. How do I, am I blessed with a pure in heart? Because Christ has done that work. And he's given me, excuse me, given me a pure heart in Christ. Genesis 6 verse 9. You can get that one later. (laughs) <laughs> it's your fourth tab sorry our fifth our third sorry Genesis 6 verse 9 <laughs> these are the generations of Noah Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Go back one verse to verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay? So there is, God looks at the heart. He was blameless. He walked in his generation. Now, was he perfect? No, we won't say that. Um, So Ephesians chapter 1. Yeah, we'll we'll get this. Ephesians chapter 1. One through four. Ephesians one, one through four. Yeah. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Okay. He's writing to those people who are Christians and he's calling them saints and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Okay, so he has chosen us. He has given us that pure and blamelessness. For they shall see God. 1 John chapter 1. 
But blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. First John's back here somewhere. You're all beating me on this one. First John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you that your joy may be complete. John is saying we've seen God. He says it in the Gospel of John, um, which was in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory as one of the only Son of, or begotten Son of God. So he's proclaiming that those who are pure in heart saw Him, but also we know that we will see Him. Right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for we shall see God. Revelation chapter 21. And I was going to take the time to read all of it. Yeah, why not? We have a few more minutes here. <clears throat> 21 and 22, just listen to what the future holds for those who are pure in heart because of the work of Jesus Christ as he's removed their heart of stone, given them a heart of flesh, made them a saint, and one day completely saint will be realized and this will be the scene. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye and, he, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Okay, we don't want to talk about that. Verse 9, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowl, full bowls of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. And the wall of the city and the twelve foundations, and on them were were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the, the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates. The city lies four square, its length to the same as its width. And he measured the city with it, 
Zitzrod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And those twelve gates were twelve pearls of each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. So refined was it that it was transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You and I, yea. The angel, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. It's a fruit of the month club. The leaves of the tree were uh, for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down and worshiped at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do what is right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to see or to the tree of life, and that they may enter by the, the city by the gates." Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be of Jesus be with all. Amen. So we see, this is how it ends, by the way. Um, so all the stuff that we get worked up about, um, God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. But those who are pure in heart will see God. And then we see God here, uh, here on this side of earth, and we're going to see the great, great and glorious expectation that Jesus brings us of the future. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, the hope that we have. We look forward to that day. Help us to live uh, just focused 
with our attention on you, Jesus the righteous. It's in your name we pray. Amen.